Hello and welcome to Vibrant Lives podcast, a podcast dedicated to your health and well-being, featuring interviews with experts about nutrition, physical health, mental health, and my five-minute food facts series, which are short episodes where I discuss nutrition-related topics. I'm Amanda Hayes, your host. I'm a lawyer turned nutritionist, and I'm on a quest to learn as much as I possibly can about living a healthy, active, and fulfilling life, which I would call a vibrant life, and sharing what I learn with you here on this podcast. The health and nutrition space can be a confusing one where information and misinformation mingle and untangling fact from fiction and identifying reliable, trustworthy sources of information is not always straightforward. My aim is to help you do that by speaking with knowledgeable guests who can explain their area of expertise in an accessible way and provide you with practical tips that you can use to improve your well-being. Before I introduce today's guest, I will quickly acknowledge that any information or advice provided in Vibrant Lives podcast is not intended to be used to treat or prevent medical conditions, and it is never a substitute for advice from your own health professionals. Today, I am here with physiotherapist Beck Sabine. Beck's areas of special interest include pelvic floor health for both men and women, and running. So we'll discuss the pelvic floor, its functions, the importance of looking after your pelvic floor, and we'll shine a spotlight on the role of the pelvic floor in running and other exercise. We'll discuss some common pelvic floor issues for runners and take a look at return to exercise for women postpartum. On the topic of the pelvis, you may recall that last year I interviewed Dr. Jane Chalmers, about pelvic pain, its numerous causes and treatment options. I think that would be a great companion episode to this one, and I'll put a link to my discussion with Jane in the show notes. So it's time to meet Beck. So today it is my pleasure to be here with Beck Sabine. Beck is a physiotherapist at Vital Core Physiotherapist. So hi, Beck. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. And Beck, I like to start the episode with some quick fire questions to get to know a little bit about you outside your work as a yes. physiotherapist. So Beck, where did you grow up? I grew up in Warnable in Southwest Victoria. So on the coast, windy nice. Warnable, uh, beautiful place. Excellent. Yeah. Is your family still there? Somewhere? Yeah, I've still got, yeah, my parents are still there. Um, we go and visit uh, as often as we can. Um, hopefully a couple of times a year, but with yep. the kids being so busy, it's not quite so often at the no, moment. School sport or sport can uh, derail yeah, those plans. It does. And Beck, your favourite form of exercise? Running. Yeah, I thought <laughs> you were going to say that, I think. And Running. We'll be, we yeah. will be getting to that in the podcast. Yes, indeed, yeah. Your go-to meal for dinner? My go-to meal um, with three active teenagers is a pasta is, and it's usually a, just a bolognese because yeah. um, I think most mums of teenagers can make it in their sleep. Um, yes. uh, so that is our go-to. But if I was to have a preference, I'd be having a nice piece of char-grilled steak and vegetables. But yeah. uh, one day. One day, yes. When you're cooking for the masses, yeah. you know, something easy. Yeah. And the good yeah. thing about that is that they can all eat it when, you know, they come in That's at various right. times. That's and right. And we can put as many vegetables in it as possible. Yes. That's right. Yes. I still hide them for my 21-year-old. Oh, no, <laughs> great them up so he doesn't know. <laughs> um, and, Beck, what are you enjoying listening to at the moment? It could be a audio book, podcast, music. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Well, there's a couple of things. Um, I tend to listen to a lot of professional podcasts, um, but to, to calm my brain, I tend to listen to um, the Chat 10, Look 3, yeah. so Lisa Ailes and Annabelle yeah. Crabb, just because they're women in their 40s. Yeah, um, they're fun. They're just fun and silly, and they also tell me what books I should be reading. So I do like that. And then other than that, it's just the um, I'm a, a 90s pop and rock uh, tragic so that's what plays on my Spotify whenever I have the chance very good and your your dream holiday destination oh anywhere <laughs> anywhere on my own um it needs to be warm for me I, I really like um in Queensland northern Queensland yeah. northern territory um water holes waterfalls that's and beaches of course but yeah yeah. so anywhere there in Australia would be fine it can be overseas too yes yes we're dreaming about that we're dreaming yeah so Beck onto your background and your work you're a physiotherapist and I'm as I mentioned you have a thriving practice vital core physiotherapy why did you decide to do physiotherapy um, I was an active kid as well um, in, in Warrnambool and I played a lot of sport, particularly basketball and netball, um, and I had a number of injuries, just minor, relatively minor ones, lots of ankle sprains and knee injuries. Um, and the physio always seemed like a bit of a magician. You know, I'd go in there on a Monday morning um, after injuring myself on the weekend and some and not being able to walk properly, and yeah. somehow they'd get me back to playing the following weekend. And I thought that was I thought that was magic. Um, and so that got my interest. And I, I like the idea of working with sports people. Um, yeah. Many physios or many people get into physio for that reason. Um, and so, yeah, so from a probably 13, 14, I decided I, was, I really want to be a physio. That's great. Um, it's great that you yeah. knew that from, from that age. Yeah, yeah. I didn't really waver, I don't think, not a whole lot. Yeah. And what's your one of your favourite aspects of being a physio? What do you enjoy? It's well, I think with most jobs when you're you're dealing with people, it's it's talking to people and meeting different people that you just otherwise wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that um, I guess the the fact that people trust us with um, their history, yeah. um, a lot of fears, a lot of fears come out in physio, um, and that they trust us with that. And they also trust us to take them from where they are, whether it be in pain or not able to do a certain activity. And um, they trust us to help them get to where they want to go. So yeah. um, that, that that I really like. So it's a trust that they place in us. But then it's the problem-solving side of physio that yeah. I find really, really rewarding. Yeah, um, because, yeah. I mean, everyone's body's different, right? That's so right. You, you, yeah. You know, what, what might work for one patient may not work for another. Yeah, so, absolutely. So, yeah. so taking that, taking the evidence, we always have to take the evidence, yeah. um, but then applying it to that person um, wherever possible. Or, um, yeah, I find that really, really rewarding. Oh, that's great. And yeah. are there any aspects of the job that you find challenging? Um, oh, heaps. <laughs> <laughs> heaps and heaps and heaps. And particularly when um, a patient will come in and, uh, the problem does seem quite overwhelming, um, but then when you um, you really nut it down, um, that 
you can usually simplify things in the end. So it may seem really big at the beginning and it becomes very overwhelming to the patient, which is why they're in, but then sometimes to us as well. But then just taking your time and and breaking it down into smaller chunks, just like everything, every problem in life, um, and then solving those chunks to actually solve the problem. But, yeah, so being overwhelmed sometimes, even, you know, 22 years in, um, but these days also knowing that I I can break it down into chunks and make it yeah. And manageable. I guess knowing the right questions to ask. Knowing the right yeah. questions to ask yeah. is, is a big thing. And, yeah, the knowing the right questions to ask, making sure you're actually just listening to that patient. So yeah. sometimes they're saying one thing, but you can kind of get the feeling that there's something else going on. And so giving them the time, the space to um, perhaps tell their story where you might actually get the the, the real problem out. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. A lot of the, um, I've interviewed quite a few physios on this podcast. And one thing that comes through, I think, for successful physios is to listen. That's yeah. such a huge part, isn't it? To really yeah, understand. I think it's a it's physio, isn't it? It's, phys- yeah. it's all medical. It's I think it's probably all life. Um, yeah, listening to people um, yeah. without your own agenda um, mm. is, I think, really, really, well, it's critical. Yes, of course. So one of your areas of expertise and an area in which you've done a lot of postgraduate mm-hmm. study is pelvic floor physiotherapy. So tell us why you were attracted or drawn to that area. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so I've done a reasonable amount of postgraduate training in um, women's, men's and pelvic health. Um, I first become interested in this back in fourth year. Um, you get to do an elective and you could do respiratory physio, you could do um, orthopaedics, you could do lots of different things. But one of the things you could do was women's health. And um, I thought that sounded like fun. I thought that was perhaps just working with some pregnant ladies in hospital, helping them have a baby. I didn't really know, even as a, um, I was 24 at that stage, didn't really have any great idea of what that meant. Um, and so I signed up for this women's health, uh, elective. My tutor was Virginia Gill, who's a well-known Adelaide physio, and, um, she mentored me and others for many years. Um, and she sort of started with going, okay, and we're all girls. Okay, girls, tell us about the pelvic floor. <laughs> and none of us in fourth year physio could name a muscle, mm. describe how it worked, um, what it did. Um, or why it was important. We had no idea. So as fourth-year physio, we still had no idea about this pelvic floor. And I thought that probably wasn't a good thing. Um, And then as I started to learn about it and the role it plays, particularly in women's lives, Mm -hmm. I've gone, yeah, I need to to learn more and do more about with this. Um, And then that just led into my my years as a physio and then I did further and further training and, yeah, and love it really interesting about that is you said a group of fourth year physios didn't really know what the pelvic floor was so if if you didn't know imagine the population at large that's right that's right and I think these days so that was going back in the um the mid 90s these days it's certainly mentioned in the undergraduate um degree Mm. um but there's still not a lot of time I think they might get one good lecture from a women's health physio right that's about it that's about it. And so they still come out going, okay, there's this pelvic floor thing. Um, there's more, we've got a women's health um, group. Um, so there's ways to learn more about it. Yes. 
But um, so there is more awareness, but the actual knowledge about it is just not there. Mm, so can you explain to us then in, in basic terms for people mm-hmm. like me who are not yep. physios, what is our pelvic floor? What makes up our pelvic floor and what are its main functions? Yeah. So the pelvic floor are a group of muscles that uh, span the space between um, the two sitting bones um, and the pubic bone at the front, so right down at the very front, mm-hmm. and then the coccyx mm-hmm. at the back. So it's it literally is the, the floor of the pelvis. Right. Uh, yeah, so, it, yeah, and I often get people to feel those bits, like yeah, they put their hands under their bottom and yeah. rock side to side, that's sit bones, okay, that's your pubic bone. And so just to get that idea of, wow, it's actually quite a big structure. And it goes around our um, where we wee from or where we poo from and, and the vagina um, in women. Um, and it, it acts a bit like a supportive, somewhat elastic um, hammock, mm-hmm. supporting our pelvic organs, literally stopping things from falling out. Right. Um, when the muscles contract, they um, they compress the urethra, which is where you weigh from, yeah. um, up and stops you from leaking. Um, it kinks your your rectum like a hose right. and stops you from leaking from there as well. Mm-hmm. And then when you need to wee or poo, you relax those muscles and it it works really nicely. And it's also really important for healthy sexual function. Um, So, yeah, that's kind of what it should do. Um, And there's a couple of gaps in the muscle. So there's um, it's not just like this big hammock, like straight hammock. There's some gaps in it. There's gaps where the urethra goes through, where the vagina goes through and where the rectum goes through. And because there's gaps in the muscle and it's at the bottom of the pelvis and where people who stand upright with gravity pushing down on us, they're weak spots and it's where things can go wrong. Mm. Um, So that's one that they're the things that uh, we tend to try to manage from pelvic floor physio. Are there some major differences between, um, obviously, because our anatomies are different, between a men's and a women's pelvic floor? The, the, the significant parts are exactly that, that um, you know, particularly firstly noting that men do have pelvic floors, so some people don't realise that. It's like, well, no, they still have a pelvis. Yeah. Um, the, the, pelvic, the pelvis of a man is much narrower than a woman's, mm. um, so the pelvic floor is narrow as well. Um, but they don't have that same... Um, they don't have as many weak spots either. No, I so they don't have a vagina. So that's yeah, right. That's right. So the, spot, that's it. So yeah. there's less spots for things to go wrong, but things yeah. still do go wrong. Um, their constant mechanisms are a little bit different to ours, but they still do have a pelvic floor and they can contract it and they can relax it. And mm-hmm. all all men know the sensation of walking into the ocean and the water hitting hitting their um, their bits. So as they hit and they go, and they pull in a little bit, um, that's them activating their pelvic floor. So, um, and they all they all know that. Um, they all all know what it's like to both um, stop a fart and boys. We know boys. I've got teenage boys. Do, they all do know they ever stop them? That's right. They apparently they can. <laughs> oh, okay, that's the difference between a female and male pelvic floor. They men can't stop farts. No. Um, but they, so they all can do that and, and it works in a quite a similar way in that sense as well. Yeah. Right. So what I'm hearing is it's, it's a really vital set of muscles and organs because you want those areas to function well. Yeah, that, and that's right. That's right. And, um, 
yeah, we, we want them to function well. And functioning well doesn't mean making them as strong or and as tight as possible. Mm-hmm. It's meaning functioning. It's ones that muscles that will contract when they're needed to contract and let go when they're needed to let go. Um, yeah. And sometimes that gets a bit mixed up um, or right. problematic. Okay. Well, that's so interesting. So I'd like to delve now into running and the pelvic yes. floor. Yes. And as I mentioned in the, in the introduction, I interviewed uh, Dr. Jane Chalmers last year, yep. and we discussed yep. pelvic pain. In today's episode, I'd like to sort of move beyond pelvic pain and look more at pelvic floor function and health yes. and take, um, in particular, an in-depth look at pelvic the pelvic floor and exercise, yep. particularly running because you're a runner and you work with a lot of runners. Yep. And I, I, I want to note too that we're both, we obviously both share that passion for running and I think, and I hope I'm not doing you a disservice here, it sounds like we're both sort of mid-pack finishers. <laughs> uh, yes, I feel like I'm moving towards the back of the mid-pack. But, yes, yeah, let's call it mid-pack finishing. <laughs> yes. I I feel like as I'm getting older, my finishing, um, my, my placements are getting better simply because I show up. You, you know, show up. Sort of, that's yeah. right. Exactly yeah, which right. Which is what we want people to do. We want people to keep showing up. So, before we sort of get into the pelvic floor and mm-hmm. running, I'd just like to ask you, why do you run? Why is that one of your favourite forms of exercise? Uh, well, it's the easiest exercise ever. Um, you just need to show up, as you said, yeah. you know. You just need to show up and you're always guaranteed a good workout. And even if you have a bad run, which we've all had, yes. you've still got a workout. And those days where you decide not to run, you do feel um or poorer for it mm-hmm. um and it's not just muscles and and joints feeling like they had a workout but it um it stimulates the brain and those endorphins and they last all day they're, i just think they're the it's it's the best thing um i don't run with music but i know some people do and they love to 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 run to the beat which is fantastic mm-hmm. um i love to run with friends um i solve the world's problems when running um yeah no i just it's yeah. it's just the best I love it too. Um, yeah. I, I love the fact that it's free, you know, yes. and and you can do it anywhere, mm-hmm. anytime. For example, if I go and do a triathlon somewhere, the amount of gear, the logistics. Yeah, yes, indeed. There's a lot you have to think about, whereas with running you just put your shoes on and off you And go. go. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And yeah. I think that you mentioned this, the, the benefit you get from the endorphins and I just think it's wonderful for your mental health. Yeah, no, absolutely agree. And um, and there's this, I, I think people who don't run um, have this misconception that you need to be flogging yourself. You need to yeah. be out of breath the whole time. It needs to be hard. And and it really doesn't. It, it You just need to move um, and then you just move a little bit faster. And even if you don't run the entire distance, you run, you oh. walk a bit, oh, I'm a bit puffed out, I'll go for a walk. And mm. just do that for half an hour and you start to feel different. Yeah, yeah no, I just I I reckon it's totally one of the best agree. exercises. Mm. Do you have a favourite distance? As in if you were signing up for a race or something, not just your everyday round the block? But- yeah, yeah. No, um, I, I just did, uh, I managed to do Claire Half Marathon. Oh, well done. Recently, which is my first half in several years, um, yeah. just because of the life and COVID, yeah. um, and it was really, really hard. And certainly, my fitness wasn't quite as good as I'd hoped. Um, uh, but it was all over and done with within two hours, and I felt so good for it. 
Um, and yeah, I was a little bit sore, but I wasn't horrendously sore, which is great. So I was able to recover pretty quickly so I yeah. can get back out there again. Whereas I, um, the longer distances, so the marathons and further, whilst they, they give you a really great um, sense of achievement, but yes. like the half does too, um, I find for a, for a marathon or anything over 30Ks, it takes me so much longer to recover. Um, the training is arduous and it with three, three kids and, and, and a business, it's it's hard to get in. I'm tired. I'm cranky. So I think the half is now my favourite distance. Yeah, I, I can certainly understand that. I think sometimes with the longer stuff, all the training, it can sometimes start to feel a bit like another job. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, like, oh, that's I right. Have to get yeah. my long run in and uh, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. So when it comes to running, it's important to have a well-functioning pelvis floor. And can you explain to us uh, what the pelvic floor has to deal with, for want of a better word, um, when we're running? Yeah. Um, so the pelvic floor is really, really important and with, with for everything. But with running, it's something that sometimes women will notice there's some problems starting to happen. They don't have problems any other time, but with running they do. Mm. Um with the pelvic floor, as we said, its job is to support the pelvic organs. When you're just walking about, um, it's not quite so hard on the pelvic floor for, for, for some most women. Some women yeah. will have problems, but for, say, we've got people who are just pretty healthy um, in their pelvic floor and they don't have any issues, no leaking, no anything else. But running is very different to walking um, and specifically because there's this airborne phase, there's this flight phase. Some of us don't necessarily feel like we're flying. Um, <laughs> with walking, there's always one foot on the ground. But with right. running, there's a period where both feet are off the ground. So, mm -hmm. so you are flying. Yes. <laughs> um, but because of that, we've got more forces um, acting um, through us. Each time we hit the ground, the way physics work, if you go back to year 11 and 12 physics, is each time you hit the ground, there's a reactive force that comes back up against you. It's called a ground reaction force, Newton's third law. And that's influenced by um, our weight, our speed, gravity and other factors. Because of that, so as that hill strikes the ground and then we come through um, into a single stance phase and then propel off, um, uh, there's significant forces that come back up through the ground, ground reaction forces, and research has shown that's up to three times our, our body weight. Wow, that's a lot. Huge. Mm. So if we're a 65-kilo woman, that's about 195 kilos of force coming up through our heel and foot and ankle complex then our calf and then our knee and then our hamstrings, Gosh. then our hip and then our glute, and then through, if you're running really nicely, straight through our pelvis, through our pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. So our pelvic floor has a really, really significant role in helping to manage and uh, um, manage, control or dissipate those forces. Um, and that's with every single step. So that's 195 kilos coming up, for example, coming up through the body <clears throat> with every step. And then if you think about how many steps you take and we, we all wear our smartwatches and so yes. forth, how many steps we take on the average 5K, 10K, 15K run? You know, it could be 5, 10, 15, 20,000 steps. That's a lot of force that that pelvic floor has to help to manage it. The force doesn't yeah. all go through its pelvic floor, but it has to help to manage it. Yes. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's quite challenging for it. Yeah, um, so... 
you can see why if if it's not functioning well there's a great potential for some problems there so what are some of the most common um, pelvic floor issues in runners um so yeah so again you could be having no problems at all so you have no incontinence which is when you leak when you're not supposed to and that could be urinary or fecal or Mm -hmm. wind but when you run um, you may leak a little bit of urine or fecal matter or wind Um, and that's really really common it may be that you don't leak at all until you go a little bit faster or perhaps you go downhill or perhaps you start to stretch out your distance Um, and so and that's really really common that women will particularly women will complain that they're starting to leak but it's only it's only when I do an afternoon run or I do a a back-to-back an afternoon and a morning run or um, uh, when I do downhills or when I do speed sessions and I start to leak um, and that's a really good sign that the pelvic floor is just not coping with those forces at those intensities or durations. Right. So that's one. So incontinence. Yes. Another one is um, urgency, mm-hmm. um, and that is that they're running along and they just get these overwhelming urges to do a wee, and they go, "But I shouldn't need to do a wee. I did a wee before I ran, yeah. and there's nothing, hardly anything in my bladder, and I'm sweating." But the fact that not just there's other reasons as well. But one of the reasons can be that because that pelvic floor is just not supporting particularly the bladder, it's just getting jiggled around a little bit. Right. Not not, not massively, but yeah, that can yeah. just be irritating it. And similarly with the bowel, the bowel urgency can be pelvic floor. It's often a nutritional thing as well. Right. So urgency. And then the, the other thing, that two other things, um, is sensations of prolapse, which is a heaviness or dragging sensation in the vaginal area right. um, that may happen while someone's running, but, again, it tends to come on um, at the end of a run, mm-hmm. after a run, um, or with speed or downhill, which is just saying that, hey, that those pelvic organs aren't being supported as well. So that's another one. And then the final one is pain, um, pelvic pain, which I know... Um, uh, Jane had spoken to you about, but yes, it can also yes. happen with running um, or can happen with anyone, but um, with runners. And one of the things we see with runners often is that those pelvic floor muscles have become a little bit overactive, a little bit I too see. tense, and they just don't let go. And they can give um, uh, spasm sensations. It's not uncommon to have some spasm sensations for some women um, after a run that feels like it might be deep in the in the butt even mm-hmm. um, or deep somewhere in the pelvis or just an ache that almost feels like DOMS um, that you get in your quads but it's in the pelvis. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're sort of the common ones we will see. Right. And you can understand how important it is to to treat those problems because it could really put someone off running. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, who who wants to run and feel like that? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So <clears throat> this, I hope I'm not sure if this is an easy question to answer because obviously every single patient you see is different, and they'll have different problems and different causes. But what are some of the options for treating the pelvic floor for some of the common issues? Yeah. So I, I think if you're having if you're having these symptoms, one of the things is don't ignore them. Um, yep. They rarely go away on their own. Um, uh, discuss them. Discuss them openly. I think with um, friends, other women, because you'll often find that other women have had similar things. It's still, unfortunately, 
um, pelvic floor problems are still a taboo issue. So talking about them openly and not dismissing them is really important. But then there's a few things that I encourage you to do. One is to talk with your GP and a, a women's health GP, I think, is a really good starting point because they will be able to screen you just to make sure there isn't anything, you know, that that potentially is um, sinister. Um, and there may be some really simple medical options too that are available. Um, but then see a pelvic floor physio as soon as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is what this is what we do, and we do it really well. We've um, yeah, we'll ask and listen to all your concerns and ask the questions to get an understanding of of not just your pelvic floor, <laughs> but you as as a woman, and particularly talking about women here, yeah. um, and also what your running goals are too. Yeah, so, of course. Um, if you want to run a marathon and you're not far off it, then we're, we're going to help you. But if you if you if you've never run a marathon and you're feeling really heavy, and you're wetting yourself, we'll perhaps talk about maybe we'll aim for 5K to start with type of thing. So we'll yeah. just help work out if those goals are, are right for you at the moment. But we'll find out a lot, of, a lot of history, and then we'll do an assessment. So pelvic floor physios do a vaginal examination. It's not like a doctor's examination. Generally, we, we don't use speculums, and it's not painful, mm-hmm. um, and it's quite collaborative. So we want to find out what that pelvic floor looks like and actually feels like. Can you contract your muscles? Can you let them go? Are there any tender spots? Is there any anatomy sitting in a position that perhaps it shouldn't be, which is what we find with prolapse? Um, so we get a really good idea of what's going on. And then once we've got that understanding, we talk with the with the lady about what is going on mm-hmm. and why. And then together we sort of work out a, a strategy to helping them to achieve their goals. So that's our big thing. So seeing the physio is a really, really important part. What you can do from the very beginning, though, is modify your running load. So um, as I said, those ground reaction forces are, are to blame. Um, and if your pelvic floor is not conditioned for those ground reaction forces um, because you're running too hard, too fast, too long, yeah. whatever, um, it'll, it may have problems. So by just decreasing your, your speed, intensity, frequency, duration, not necessarily all of them, just maybe one at a time, down to a level where you don't have any symptoms, and if you can decrease it down to there, that point, then you're not making things worse. And, and you can probably just, you can probably keep going um, with some exercise because we want to keep you running. We don't want to stop you running. Um, and then as you as you rehab back, we can start to increase those, um, those running parameters. So you said rehab. So someone with a pelvic floor um, issue who's in the right place, in other words, yeah. they've got a diagnosis as something that you can help them with. Can they expect to get better yeah yeah Yeah. so there's certain things um so childbirth injuries um uh prolapses um may still be there right so they may still have a prolapse um and if they've got a childbirth injury where some muscles been damaged they'll still have that Mm -hmm. but the body's amazing in its ability to adapt um that prolapse may be there when we test it, and there's certain ways we do that. But the woman doesn't necessarily have to have be symptomatic with it. Right. Um, and if she is symptomatic with, say, a prolapse, we've got these simple devices called pessaries that can support that prolapse, so she can run okay. because we know the exercise is so important for um, overall health. 
Um, so we will do everything we can to get her exercising because it's good for her. Yeah. Um, and then uh, exercises of the pelvic floor, well, it's just like every other muscle. You build it up, you make it stronger, you make it be able to, to, to cope with those ground reaction forces. Mm -hmm. And quite often those symptoms start to calm down. There's often some, some timing issues of teaching her how to activate her pelvic floor properly. Um, she needs to get some endurance in the muscles yeah. and then she needs to bulk it up. Um, that she may need to learn how to breathe better. She may be, um, you know, as she gets tired, she starts pushing down. Yeah, so we may need to talk about that. Like there's so many things. But, yes, absolutely, we need to help women to achieve good realistic goals. Well, that's that. That is great news. I think um, when anyone's starting a running program, the general advice is to take it quite slowly and not increase more than ten percent in any week, yeah. so that you're not, you know, suddenly going from zero to a hundred. So I expect that advice probably is helpful in conditioning your pelvic floor as well, because yes. it's gradually getting used to to running. And one thing I'm interested in is in days gone by, if you if you were a runner, the way you trained for that was you ran and that was kind of it. But these days, uh, elite athletes and also um, recreational athletes who are runners tend to do a lot of um, complementary things as well. I mean, it's very common to have a strength training program, perhaps some agility work, um, some high intensity work, all to support your running. I was wondering if do you think sort of some pelvic floor type exercises should make up part of a runner's overall training program? Yeah, yeah, really good question. We know that one in three women don't contract their pelvic floor muscles properly. So we need to keep that in mind when we're encouraging people to do their pelvic floor exercises because we know one in three, 30%, which is a lot, We'll be doing the wrong thing. Right. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that. yeah. 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 So the pelvic floor muscles um, are designed to work, um, they should work fairly automatically. Mm -hmm. So as um as a, a force comes back through them or down through, you know, if, you, if you're coughing or if you're running, so if you cough, there's pressure coming down. If you're running, there's pressure coming up. Um, they're designed to to work automatically. So if they are doing that, then you won't have any symptoms of leaking, um, pain, urgency, mm -hmm. pain, um, heaviness. And honestly, if you're also voiding, weighing properly and pooing properly and uh, sexual intercourse is comfortable, um, I would assume that it's not broke. So don't try to fix it. If you have concerns, then we need to go down that path of um, doing the right thing by your pelvic floor and seeing a pelvic floor physio to make sure that you're doing things properly. Okay. Well, one yeah. of the questions I also had for you was from, I was wondering if from a just a general health point of view, people without any pelvic floor symptoms should go and see a pelvic floor physio or specialist just to have a bit of a checkup, or is it really only necessary if you're symptomatic? Yeah, I I don't want to over medicalize um, yeah. medicalize things because again the body is really good um, mm. um, at managing itself, and that that whole um, not increasing by more than ten percent I think is a really nice one, um, and often people. Um, 
just kind of forget it. You know, I'm running really well. Oh, I can do 5K. Oh, look, I can do 10K. Oh, that's quite cool. I'll do this. Oh, look at that. I'm doing 15K. And if we just keep things really slow and steady, then I usually we're okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so if someone's concerned because they're just not really sure, then uh, look, you can, absolutely, but yeah. you don't need to. There's so many things that we potentially can worry about. Yes. Um, if, you, if your body's working really well for you at the moment, then I think that's a good thing. Having some understanding about this is why this podcast is really great, having an understanding about the pelvic floor and what could potentially go wrong just has it there for if something does go wrong. Um, I, I think that's a much it's a much better way to go where we know what to do if something does go wrong. It's like first aid, right? You yeah. just you don't want to use it, but if you have to use it, you know what to do. And I think uh, pelvic floor exercises are much the same in that way. Yeah, and building awareness, as you say, it's so yeah. important, particularly for women. Do we have any, uh, do you know any statistics about are women like a certain percentage more likely to have pelvic floor issues than men? Yeah, so we, we know that, yeah, it's um, one in three women leak yeah. um, and it's one in ten men right. um, and one in five children. Um, and so there's a really high percentage of women across their lifespan will have some form of, form of pelvic floor dysfunction. Right. Um, yeah, and there is a normal age-related decline of the pelvic floor. Yeah. Um, but our job is just to be aware of things that could potentially make it worse um, and limit those if at all possible. Um, and things such as childbirth and menopause, um, if we go through childbirth, recognise that that's uh, it's a stage that's very challenging for the pelvic floor and we need to rehab it back properly. Um, we all have to go through menopause, um, but recognising that's also a time where we tend to lose pelvic floor strength and we have to do everything we can to regain that. So they're key times to right. have a pelvic floor physio involved. So I do want to talk about um, childbirth and rehabbing post-childbirth, yeah. but just quickly with the pelvic floor becoming weaker with age, is that just because we're getting older and our muscles lose tone? Is that, Or is it a hormonal thing or...? There's a proposed model by a guy called uh, a guy, a researcher, a very world-renowned researcher called Dr. Delancey, Dr. John Delancey, and he proposes lifestyle lifespan model, um, uh, and it is of pelvic floor dysfunction, and he says that we have this normal age-related decline in pelvic floor function. Um, we also have this thing called a symptom threshold, and that is that that it's there and it's a little bit different for every person. And our job throughout our life is to keep ourselves above the symptom threshold. Right. There's different phases that can influence that, though. So, you know, some of them we can't control. They're things like um, our genetics, um, our childhood development um, and things like that that we have no influence, we can't influence. But then there's things such that have um, really big effects on our pelvic floor. So, like I said, childbirth and and menopause. And we're aware of that. So when that happens, we work work our butts off literally to get ourselves, our function back as high as it can be um, so that we're not um, accelerating that decline. And then there's this other phase, uh, um, other phase that he says influences our pelvic floor function, and that's the thing's, that we do have um, control over. So um, 
chronic cough. We do everything we possibly can to get rid of a chronic cough because it puts too much pressure on the pelvic floor. Um, constipation, that straining yeah. damages the pelvic floor. Um, uh, lifting in a really heavy, bad way, where they're straining, yeah. we fix that, you know. Um, actually, uh, significant abdominal girth um, is another uh, predictor of pelvic floor dysfunction. So doing everything you can to get that, that um, stomach measurement down. Then also we want to look at those things such as running and wetting yourself, yeah. running and feeling heavy, running and feeling urgent, running and having pain. So all their thing, their things that we can work on to keep our pelvic floor function um, up as we yeah. age. Yeah. Oh, it's good yeah. to know that there are things that we can do yes. to keep our yep. pelvic floor healthy. One of the other areas that, that you're very interested in and you work in a lot is helping women get back to running in, in any sport, actually, after having a baby. Mm -hmm. So obviously a lot happens to our bodies when we have a baby, both physically, yes. hormonally. But let's just focus on the pelvic floor. How is it impacted by childbirth and pregnancy? Yeah, well, pregnancy, as you said, it's a huge, huge change of time of change. Yeah. Um, if we just think about with pregnancy, um, anyone who's been pregnant will notice how heavy they feel mm. almost from the beginning. Like even before, while the, the baby's the size of a, you know, a pea, you, you start to gain fluid, um, you, uh, vascularity increases, everything just becomes a bit heavier and softer throughout your entire body. Um, as the baby grows, the tummy obviously gets much, much bigger, um, but that baby's growing in the pelvis um, and that baby's sitting you know, effectively on your pelvic floor. Yeah. So there's, of course, the bladders there and the bowels there. So your pelvic floor is working very, very hard just to support that growing baby. Um, and you go, oh, okay, well, that, therefore that might be loading it, making it stronger. Well, maybe, but no. <laughs> it's, it's too much load for most pelvic floors. Hmm, it's um, designed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Women? Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, so, and if your pelvic floor is not particularly strong or not quite strong enough, you might start to have some problems during pregnancy with leaking and heaviness yeah. and aching and so forth. So if that's the case, again, as a pelvic floor physio, we want to see you. Um, but then there's a the delivery. Yes. <laughs> and, and childbirth is um, something that's quite extraordinary. You know, we effectively push a bowling ball through a keyhole. Yeah, it's, um, it's amazing, it's, isn't it? It's, it's, and it's amazing. And the body can do it. The, the pelvic floor, they've got MRI imaging. That this, yeah, imagine this study. Um, during labour looking at the pelvic floor muscles, and they stretch or lengthen up to 300%. Oh, my goodness. Which is, which is huge, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's just mind-boggling. Mm. And, and that's because of the amazing hormones that occur. Um, but so because they stretch, you know, that, that far, again, imagine if you, your, your hamstring or even your, your, you pull your little finger back, you know, it doesn't stretch, you know, it's not, not 300% that you can pull no, it back. No. Um, that causes damage. And even in the simplest of deliveries, those muscles have been stretched way beyond their normal capability. 
Um, nerves have been tensioned beyond what they normally go. Um, fascia, other connective tissue has been somewhat uh, damaged, mm-hmm. and we'll use that word here. Um, and and um, we don't expect it to work perfectly immediately afterwards. And that's for a simple delivery. Um, and then if it becomes a little bit more complicated, perhaps with instruments such as forceps, yeah, forceps. Mm-hmm. then we can have um, further damage to the pelvic floor. Or if that baby's head tends to be a little bit big, or it gets stuck, um, or you have to push really hard for a long, long time, um, or you end up having a big baby and you're a little hurt, like there's so many other things, yeah. that we can lead to quite a bit of a bit of damage to the pelvic floor that needs to needs to recover. What about a caesarean section for people that for whatever reason can't have a vaginal yeah. birth? Do that, does that still damage the pelvic floor in well, any way? The, 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 the C-section itself doesn't, um, mm. but they've still been pregnant. Yeah, they've still had, had nine months of pressure on that pelvic yeah. floor. And then those women who, and I remember for my first, um, I laboured for many, many, many hours and then end up in an emergency C-section. So I've been putting, like every time that uterus contracted, contracted, that baby's head was being, well, hopefully didn't work, pushed down against that cervix um, where the pelvic floor is underneath that. So it was getting strain on it for several, several hours. Um, And then she came out by the sunroof. Um, So that's traumatic (laughs) to the pelvic floor. Sorry. Um, uh, But those women who have a, a planned cesarean, they haven't got that, which is good. Um, I mean, they, they there can, are other issues, obviously. They have yeah. other issues. Mm. But still not simple. No, um, no. But they've also had a pelvic floor that has had a baby on it for several, several months. Yeah. Um, there, there is some thought that um, that pushing down um, during labour uh, stops the pelvic floor becoming too tense. So, again, because that baby's been sitting on the pelvic floor for nine months, that pelvic floor's been working really hard to hold it up, yeah. and then the baby comes out by the sunroof, that pelvic floor hasn't had that sort of forced oh. stretch. You know, is that anecdotal? Oh, goodness, it's, sure. hard, it's hard no. to know. But, um, so we do sometimes see with women who have had a cesarean section, they have pelvic floor issues and when we do an examination, their pelvic floor muscles are actually a little bit tense. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, everyone's different. Yes, of course. And so if a woman has um, had a baby and wants to get back into running or, or, or other exercise, what are some of the important considerations that she should think about before she, she goes back into that? We're really, really fortunate in that in the last few years we have had a plethora of a beautiful research into exactly this. Um, and it's because we want to get women back exercising as mm. soon as possible but safely because yeah, exercise is wonderful. It is. It is. Um, but the first point is that uh, it's based on what I've just said, you know, that um, vagina and pelvic floor has been stretched to bejeebies, you know, it's 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 huge. Yeah. It's been stretched right out and it needs to rest, it needs to recover. And the best evidence we have says that won't happen before three months. Right. Okay, fully. Yeah. Um, there's some studies that say four months. There's some studies that say 12 months. So I think the best starting point is going, actually, I've had a baby, it's my turn to rest and recover from this. Um. So we want to really try to yeah, wait for that three months before 
recommencing any impact activities. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that she can't work other parts of her body. Um, we just don't want to throw those ground reaction forces um, yeah. on a pelvic floor as well as the other structures in the body. So those first couple of weeks should be really about being a mum, learning to be a mum for the first time or being a mother of two or being mother of three or subsequent. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Um, mind boggles. Um, So learning how to to manage all of that is is critically important for her mental health as well. Um, So resting as much as possible because tissue will not recover unless it gets that rest. Yeah eating really well um, and trying as best you can to get some sleep and trying to enjoy this baby. Um, And if if the woman feels up to it, she can get started on her pelvic floor exercises if she knows how to. She might do a little bit of walking, but it's really short. You know, it might be five, ten minutes. Just get some blood flow. Um, So the early, early phase really, really wind back significantly. Yeah. Um, and I, I like to think about some of those beautiful cultures that have that that period where the mother, the mother's mother comes and looks after him, all the yeah, kids comes so and looks lovely. after that woman. And all she does is feeds her baby. Yeah. Um, and I think that's it, it's very hard in our Australian culture to do something like that, uh, a traditional Australian culture. But um, I think there's something in that. So rest yeah. is just critical. Um, but then... As she gets her pelvic, she's get working on her pelvic floor. Um, she can then start to get some of those other muscles going. So her bottom muscles, her gluteals. Generally, um, generally, uh, postnatal women have fairly weak glutes. So it's it's a thing. Okay. Um, not all. No, I'm not going to make a complete generalization. Generalization, and I guess I probably see the ones that don't have the strong glutes. So I might be biased. But they can start to work on that and they can also start to work on their their tummy muscles to make them stronger. I'm not really all that interested from a physio point of view these days about closing the gap. Right. Talk about another time. Mm -hmm. But starting to get some tummy muscles going as well as starting to progress her walking. Yeah. And from there, over the next few weeks, you can start to build up to doing um, more walking or some if um, the, the blood loss, the lochia has stopped, she could do some gentle swimming. She might uh, be able to get into the gym and do some exercise bike or elliptical um, just to start her body working well. Mm. We're encouraging, so this is all pelvic floor physios across yeah. Australia, for women to have a pelvic floor assessment um, from about that six weeks postnatal. Okay. Mm. Um, there's a bit of a push um, in our Eastern States members um, uh, to Parliament to try and eventually get this covered under Medicare because it's it, it if we can identify pelvic floor dysfunction early, um, we can we can get in there and help women um, much much quicker rather than waiting until they are um, problematic uh, several yeah. years later. Mm. So this is the only time where I'd go, actually, this is where a pelvic floor assessment could be useful. Yeah. You know, that's so nice to hear because when I had my children, I didn't really understand anything about the body healing. Mm. Um, And all I could think about was how soon can I get back to running? Yeah. And you end up putting a whole lot of pressure on yourself. Um, Yeah. And I think it's nice to hear that 
it really is a time to rest and the rest is so important for your body and your pelvic floor in particular to actually heal. Yeah, very true. Mm. Yeah, and just that whole... um, we know that a lot of women really um, identify themselves as runners and um, and it's critically important to them and totally get it. Yeah. Um, so what we want to do is get our women back to running um, well, safely and well, so that they don't have to stop because there's yeah. nothing worse. It's going to be far, I believe, far harder for a woman to push herself back to running quickly and then at four months, um, start to have knee pain um, because she hasn't got her glutes strong, and then start to leak, um, then start to feel heavy. Um, if we can, we can um, avoid all that by yeah. just taking a little bit longer and building up slowly. And she gets back and she feels amazing because she's done it herself. She's done it properly and she's done it herself. Um, yeah, and I think that's a really, really important part of the postnatal journey. Oh, absolutely. It's it's vital information to get out there, I think, for mm. women so that they can just know the best way to get themselves back into, you know, feeling good again and, and yeah. not put pressure on themselves unnecessarily, which, as you say, could end up in, you know, making them in a worse oh, position yeah. with more yeah. injuries. Mm. Yeah. If we talk about the pe- pelvic floor sort of more generally, what are some or are there any tips for people to look after their pelvic floor? You have actually mentioned some already by, you know, eating well so you don't get constipated and things like that, but just general lifestyle things that we should be aware of. It is general lifestyle advice, okay? So, again, the pelvic floor works relatively automatically in when it's, when it's healthy and functioning well. If we exercise regularly, um, it doesn't have to be super intense. In fact, it could be a nice balance of um, intense exercise and lower intense exercise, lower intensity exercise. Um, but we're doing that regularly. Then we're keeping the pelvic floor working in conjunction with all the other muscles as it's yeah. meant to. Um, as we work, as we exercise um, harder, our breathing gets harder. Well, the pelvic floor works with the diaphragm a lot as well. Um, if we're doing a little bit of strength exercise and we're holding our posture up beautifully and um, and you know pushing a weight above our head, well, the pelvic floor works with the deep postural muscles of the back as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so by exercising in a variety of different ways, or um, and I guess I'm saying exercise as a word, but it could be you're in the garden regularly where you're going yeah. up and down. Um, so movement. Really, and, and vigorous movement. Yeah. That's going to help the pelvic floor a lot. As I said, keeping your waist circumference, and so I'm not saying BMI, I'm not saying anything like that, your waist circumference down. And it's, mm. um, and I've, oh, I can't remember the actual numbers at the moment. Let's call it 80, 88 or something. So the standard yeah. healthy waist circumference, um, keeping that at that or below, um, we know it takes the pressure off your pelvic floor. It's also um, important for all your other everything organs else. as well. And but, that's yeah. right. So it, it is just ticking off all those healthy lifestyle um, activities, eating well, huh? eating fruits and vegetables yeah. so that you don't become bound up and become constipated, mm. keeps your bowel function as good as it can be, drinking regularly, drinking 
mainly water, staying away from the the sugary or um, artificial sweeteners, the alcohol, because all those things can irritate the bladder. Um, Drinking regularly so that you fill your bladder and then you empty it regularly, that's a thing too. Um, Practicing some form of mindfulness um, and stress management so that you don't become wound up because just like your jaw can get tense, your neck can get tense, your pelvic floor can get tense. So I would argue it's that whole ticking off all those healthy lifestyle factors will help your pelvic floor. That's great to know because often we think about those lifestyle factors in terms of keeping our heart healthy and and that kind of thing, but it's great to know that it's also helping us look after our pelvic floors. What about, um, I mean, you used to hear about Kegel exercises and is that still a thing? Well, Kegel exercises are just pelvic floor exercises. So, yeah, that was just an American guy who named them as Kegel exercises. Um, But the accurate term is pelvic floor exercises. So, yeah, some people will say, oh, I did my Kegels and say, oh, but what were you doing, you know? Yeah, and you said earlier that a lot of women actually do it it incorrectly. Yeah, that's right. Mm. So, so again, I'd like uh, particularly women who have had a baby, um, they, they probably need the pelvic floor exercises more than those that don't, but not always. Mm-hmm. But you just don't know. So if it's if it's working okay, don't try to fix it. And if it's not working well, see someone to help you fix it. It's probably my best yeah. advice, I think. Great, great. Oh, that's excellent advice. So um, let's wrap up now, Beck. So who inspires you? Oh, so many people. Um <laughs> At the moment, and um, it's a bit mushy, but my daughter. So my, oh, I've got it, my daughter's my daughter's seventeen, and and just working her butt off. Um, she's got big, big goals for after school. Excellent. When she finishes school, and she's just so determined. So the tenacity, I guess, um, and uh, it's something that at the same age, I don't think I had. Like, yes, I wanted to be a physio, and yes, I worked hard at school. But I just wasn't as determined as she is. And it's just amazing to watch. Yeah, that's um, great. So yeah, at the moment, I guess, yeah, she probably inspires me to, you know, pull my finger out and work a bit harder at things. And, and <laughs> make sure she, you know, has healthy meals and all those things. And she has she healthy meals and she gets sleep and she has time out and all the rest of it. Yeah, mm. so it's is she in quite year 12 this year? She's only year 11. Oh, oh not only. Smart. She's in year yeah. 11, but, yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. a, that's a really yeah. lovely answer. Yeah. The final question that I like to ask all of my guests is if you could recommend two things and they could be anything, they don't have to relate to the pelvic floor uh-huh. or they can if you want, <laughs> two things that people could do to look after their well-being, what would they be? Yeah, and, and they probably do relate to the pelvic floor, but as I said before, it's it's eat well and move more. Like it's mm. just it's just it's everything eat yeah. well move more and you will feel better in i think in every element of your life yeah yeah um, i think yeah. the important thing about um moving more is as we alluded to earlier it can be anything it doesn't have to be a hard run and in the same way running can it doesn't have to you know kill you it can it can be fun and slow and interspersed with walking and just moving Absolutely. It's absolute and just trying to, we probably do need to take that word exercise out of it. Um, move fast, move slow, um, yeah. yeah, move smooth, 
don't, don't, it doesn't matter. Just just do it and do more of it. And yeah. finding something you love to do, whether yeah. it is running or yoga or or gardening or whatever it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And so if people uh, would like to have a look at what you're doing um, and perhaps people based in Adelaide who might like to come and see you, what's the best way for them to connect with you? So you can have a look at our website. It's uh, vitalcore.com.au. Um, um, they can email us as well, info at vitalcore.com.au. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's right. I'll put um, that in the show. ways to contact us. Um yeah, absolutely, because we're a, we're a general physio clinic, but we do have special interests in um, women's health or women's, men's and pelvic health and also running. And um, we tend to see the general population. We do have some elites, mm-hmm. um, air quotes, um, but the majority of people are um, recreational runners, um, recreational athletes and we kind of get them that they are us um, and we think they need to be managed a little bit differently to what the elites do because they have other lives they've got to manage as well. Yeah, they don't have as many support people around them. And, in fact, even though I said that was my last question, I do have one more because I forgot to ask it earlier. You have a program called Run Fit. Yes, yes, we do. Tell us about that. What's that? Yeah, so RunFit is a exercise class. It's an eight-week progressive program. Um, we started about six years ago uh, because we were seeing so many recreational runners with all very similar conditions, whether it be in their knee, hip, ankle, in the sense that they're just a bit deconditioned because yeah. they were mums and dads or grandparents um, they were studying. They just didn't have the time to devote to the right strengthening exercise but they wanted to run. They also seemed to, as a general rule, because they were recreational runners, they perhaps didn't have as much understanding of um, of running as they yeah. could have had. Mm-hmm. So we designed this, this program, and so it's an exercise class that you, once a week and anyone can do it, doesn't matter what level you're at, and we progress it each week um across the eight weeks but then you also um, I send out an email every week which is just talking about a topic of running Mm -hmm. so we start off with talking about it's called balancing the loads and it talks about um how to build up your running safely um but then we also talk about different muscles that you need and and why this is important why that's important um it's really social, so as much as an exercise class, it's fun. Um, and, again, because it's me and I do like 80s, 90s music, um, <laughs> and so do, my, so do all my physios that, that work with us as well, which is great. So it's, we've got a little bit of daggy music as well because, yeah, I like people just to feel a bit more relaxed and they don't need to put a front on. You can be a bit daggy. I'm quite happy for people to pay us out about our music choices. Um <laughs> And then we also have a, a private Facebook group where we just talk about, you know, what we're doing. So people yeah. are going doing park runs or if anyone's achieved something or whatever oh, as well. Fantastic. So it's a really lovely supportive yeah. environment for people to get stronger um, for their running um, but also learn a bit more about their body for running and have a, develop, start developing a little bit of an, uh, a runner's network, if you like. Yeah. Oh, that sounds wonderful. I love the sound mm-hmm. of that. So if anyone wants to... Um, check that out we'll we'll put yeah. a link in the show notes and it'll be yeah. on your website obviously as well so yes beck thank you so much for speaking with me today and sharing your your wonderful knowledge about all things pelvic floor 
Um, oh, thank you so much for having me. It's great. It's been a real, a real pleasure. So yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with the very knowledgeable Beck Sabine from Vital Core Physiotherapy. If you did, please share the podcast and tell your friends about it. And if you could take a minute to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, that will help people find my podcast. And I'm always so grateful for that. Please follow me on Instagram at vibrant underscore lives underscore podcast. And check out my website at vibrantlivespodcast.com where you'll find a library of all my previous podcast episodes and reviews of books I recommend and more. So please do DM me or send me an email via the contacts page on my website if you'd like to suggest a guest to be interviewed or if you'd just like to say hi, I'd love to hear from you. I've got some excellent episodes coming up but I would like to flag with you that In about a month's time, I'll be interviewing dermatologist Dr. Emma Ryan, and we'll be talking about healthy skin and how to look after your skin. So if you have any questions about that, about your own skin, about the skin of your teenagers or something along those lines, please send the questions in to me and I'll put them to Emma for you. This podcast is recorded on ancient Ghana land. I acknowledge the Ghana people as the traditional custodians of this land and pay respects to their elders past, present and future. Thank you so much for tuning in. Eat well, move well, think well.